All right. Welcome to 501 Crossroads. I'm Marjorie Moore. Um, welcome to the show. This is our first episode, and we're really excited today to kick this off. 501 Crossroads is going to be all about nonprofits, and we're going to especially spend a lot of time talking about boards and staff and staff working together, program and development working together, breaking down silos and making sure that we are all fighting for the same outcome. I'm really excited today. We have Natalie Jablonski. Uh, she is a nonprofit executive in the St. Louis Metro East area. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're glad. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. So I have been working in the nonprofit arena for more than 15 years serving in a variety of roles. Uh, I've served as a board member for nonprofit organizations. I've served in fundraising, uh, development, philanthropy, whatever word you'd like to, <laughs> to tag with that. I've been able to serve in operations uh, of nonprofits, uh, including working with boards and running boards. Uh, I've been able to I've really been engaged uh, on many different levels uh, with nonprofit organizations and seen some of those trends and uh, the exciting things that happen within the marketing and special events and uh, it's been an exciting time, and I think it's an exciting time now to be a nonprofit uh, in a nonprofit arena. It absolutely is, and actually, you you called yourself a nonprofit ninja earlier. I did, I did a little bit of a nonprofit ninja, you know, battling one problem at a time, Which a little is, multitasking. I think that's why we always have, we always have to do that. Wear like ten hats at once and make sure none of them fall off at I, the same time. Agreed, and usually that's in the job description. It, I think it is. I've seen. Some, I think like, they good call it as page. other other duties as assigned, but exactly. really it should just be you know nonprofit ninja. Meaning you can tackle anything they throw at you. Exactly. A good friend of mine this weekend, she's a nonprofit ED, and she posted a picture of, on Facebook of one of her events, and she's mass she's manning this giant grill full of food, and she said, "This is other duties as a side today." So. Absolutely, <laughs> whatever it takes for the mission, right? Because that's really what it's about. You know, it's when you talk about nonprofit and multitasking, it's what does it take to make sure that uh, the people that we serve, the mission that we serve is achieved. And sometimes that takes a little more creativity. Exactly. Well, especially when I think when you're working with volunteers and you're working with staff, you know, you, you've got a lot of different competing interests, but I think all of us are interested in, in finishing that mission. But getting to that point yeah. can be a little tough, making sure that everybody's happy and everybody's playing well together. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. So one of the things I think the first thing we're going to talk about, and this is something that I think is on everybody's mind all the time. Anytime I talk to anybody in nonprofits, it's, oh my God, my board. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so board of directors. Yeah. Yes. So and and many, advisory board. So there's so oh, many yeah. different types of boards. First yes. off, I have two boards. <laughs> Thank you. So I love the game of who's in charge. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, and, and sometimes they love that game even more. And there's a little bit of a power play. And that's entertaining because you feel like a referee. Oof. But you've got you know, advisory <laughs> boards and then you have committees of boards and you have governing boards and people who think they're governing boards that really aren't governing boards. But that's and that's the worst. And then you've got event committees. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're not going to get into event committees oh, too much today. Because the show is limited we, in time. We only have a half an hour. But that's another but great think topic. it might be our next topic. So <laughs> and the you know the thing we the thing with boards and people who are committing their time. I mean, they're volunteering their time to help your mission because they believe in it, they trust in it, they champion it, which is awesome. So why are we getting so much drama over something that you think would be such a gift? Exactly. You know, you don't. You, one of the things that I was reading this week, um, it was an article from Ignited Fundraising, and it was about stuff that staff does to disengage their board. And then on the other end, I was reading a story from Creating the Futures blog um, about why boards micromanage. Yes. 
And I am amazed that I have been in situations sometimes when my board has done both. They've been disengaged and micromanaging. At the same time. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> yeah. And I bet so. there's some board members out there who are listening to this who can totally relate to that. Exactly. Because as, you know, as a nonprofit, you're limited on your resources, which include everything from finance to people to time and how do you get all that together? And you look at the skills of your board and they're there and they're there to help you and they want to be engaged. And so you give them this great project and then you have like empty nest syndrome. Yes. The project's not there. <laughs> now what do I do? And the panic begins and and they're trying to do their job. And what what do we do? We swoop in to what what, what save the day, right? <laughs> so we say, you know, nonprofit ninjas, you know, yeah. we're in there to save the day. And the reality is they wanted to save the day. Oh, they do. And I think all of us want to. Yeah. And that's the hard part. Like, we all want the recognition. We all want to help. I know from a staff end, oh, we don't we don't want to bother that board member. We don't want to board right. to you know burn them out, burn right. out. Oh my gosh, <laughs> because they have so much going on. They're either you know working at home or they're working for another employer or they're working with other nonprofits that they're important to them. And we think, oh, they're so busy. I hate to bother them. I hate to ask them. This is so much burden on them that we get a guilt complex as employees because we think well, we're being paid to do this project. So we should really do this. That really is kind of the balance. It's like, okay, I'm getting paid. I know I'm doing my job and this isn't their real job, but it's their passion. It's right. their passion as much as it's our passion, I think sometimes, and maybe sometimes more. Gosh, to volunteer to do something. I, I always say nonprofit employees are the worst volunteers. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> because we, we, well, nonprofit employees, we are not used to just sitting back. Mm -mm. We're doers. We're either doers or we're flakers. I mm -hmm. find I find most of the nonprofit employees, including myself, that uh, are volunteers flake more than the regular Joes. Yeah. And I think because we know there's there, there's that staff member ready to swoop it and help right, us. <laughs> right. For sure. And I think there's, you know, where you see the real disengagement take place from a, between a board member and an employee is when the communication breaks down. And I think that's one of those, one of those big factors is we go in and we swoop in to save the day, but we forget to tell them. Yes. And the impact it has on that individual because then they think, well, wow, they didn't even bother to call and tell me. And in our head, what we're telling ourselves is, oh, it's our responsibility. It's our job. It's a burden on them. We don't want to bother them. But we forget to tell them that. And when that yes. communication breakdown, the board member is like, well, what did I do wrong? Why don't you trust me? What, you know, why am I here in a sense? And then later uh, you find out, oh, I wonder why that board member left. They were so valuable. Well, <laughs> because they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. And you kept going in and. And swooping down and taking their, yeah, taking their jobs. I know one of the hardest things in our organization was a couple of years ago when we made the decision to let our, uh, we have a huge fundraiser every year, like everybody has. And we let our uh, event chair who does negotiations all day long for her job, like that's her thing. Like she's good at it. We, we let her negotiate the contract for the event, for the, for the actual space and the food and like th the big contract. Good for you. Oh my gosh, I was shaking the whole time. <laughs> and I still show you every time, like we've done it a couple of years since, and she's done such a fantastic job, but letting go and delegating. And you, yeah. you grew up in an organization like I, I have. And yeah. so it's, it's, um, Sometimes I think when you've been entrenched in an organization and done it the same way for so long too, it's even harder to let that delegation really happen. I agree. And I can, I can imagine some of the nonprofit executives and, and employees who are listening to this thinking, oh my gosh, but I have to, <laughs> I have to, you know, it's letting go. Yes. <laughs> and I think the big thing is if you're going to let go, the anxiety release happens when you communicate your letting go. There we go back to the communication yes. saying to the board member, I'm trusting you. I'm putting this in your hands. I, this is what we need to happen. These are the outcomes we need. 
so that they understand that it's their, it's the balls in their court because exactly. I can see where the big anxiety comes from the employee is the what if. Oh yeah. What if it's over budget? What if they negotiate something I can't do? What if my boss doesn't like it? So not having <laughs> that's a, a huge thing. If, you know, <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, those are called career limiting moves, by the way. Yeah, I call those CLMs. Uh, but if you don't have that communication, that open dialogue with that board member as to, so I'm putting this ball in your court and here's what I need to be able to make that happen. Then you can relax a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, and you can, you can have less anxiety. And although you're, you know, it is hard. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> and I think it's even more difficult for nonprofit colleagues because we're so tied to our mission. We're so entrenched in what we're doing and we believe in what we're doing. And we, we just don't want to let, we don't want to let the organization down and the, and the people we serve and the mission that we serve. Absolutely. I've had staff before go, if I delegate this and I, they don't do it, then it's on me. And if I don't get it done, it, you're, you're going to blame me for it not being done. And, you know, I get that on, right. on a staff member side is, you know, I, I've got so much I have to do. I can't add this other thing on at the last minute. Which then brings yeah. you to trust and oh, establishing trust with that board member or that key volunteering. And we're talking about board members where we know there's a lot of volunteers who don't have oh, a yeah. board title who do so much more even sometimes than our board members Absolutely. do. Because it's a different, <laughs> especially going into like the special event mode. Yeah. And having that trust because at the end of the day, when your executive director comes and says, why did this task not get done? It's difficult to say, well, I told the volunteer to do it and they didn't. Yeah. yeah that's That, that usually, just doesn't sound good, right? <laughs> and that doesn't sound good. And typically the executive director is not thrilled with that answer. No. <laughs> so then so then how do you, you know, to work that in? It's the, There's that give and take and mm-hmm. you have to be able to work with that volunteer, but trust that volunteer and they have to have the trust in return. It's difficult to establish if you haven't built that relationship. Absolutely. The other big thing is is the micromanaging and the, yeah. you know, how do you have a board that's doing things and that you're trusting and that you're delegating to, but making sure that they don't get into managing staff or right. they don't get into going and talking to your clients and bringing up client concerns at a at a meeting. Sometimes that's valid. Sometimes I think that might be a really important part. You know, you want your board to be engaged with what you're doing. But on the other hand, <laughs> so and I'm, I was actually talking to my board chair yesterday and we were talking about some something that we had going on in the office. He goes, he said, I'm, I'm here to manage you. I'm not here to manage them. <laughs> so good. And, you know, that Established was great. guidelines. Yeah, because I think that's where I see board members who step over the line of micromanaging. No one's told them they shouldn't. No exactly. one told them they can't. There is no there may be a this is a job description. But who it, reads those? But yeah, well, no, <laughs> first off, it's like board packets that we yeah. spend hours putting together, and oh. you're wondering, is anyone really reading these? Because I'm getting to the agenda item, and I'm getting that yeah. you know, deer in the headlights. Look. My administrative assistant reads them. Oh, well, that's somebody's got to proofread it. <laughs> Somebody needs to, right? But you know, when there's no systems in place, there's no guidelines in place for those board members. They don't know what they don't know, and you can't expect yeah. that, especially if it's learned behavior that they've seen other board members do it. Oh, so yeah. what I found is it works best if you were trying. To, and I had that experience where I saw a board that was very ingrained in micromanaging, and they wanted to know the deep, d- deep of the financials and make these deep decisions. And this particular board wasn't even a governing board; it was an advisory board. Oh, and but they'd always done it. It's the favorite phrase. We've always yeah. done it that way. Yes. <laughs> we've always, but we've always done it that way. And the person who recruited me on the board always told me this was part of it. 
uh, which board recruitment, that's another great topic oh, yeah. for the We're future. Have to write that one down. So what happens whenever they're completely ingrained in that conversation of, of micromanagement and how do you get them out of that conversation? You know, that, cause that's really what it is. It's the conversation loop that never ends. And I think once you start establishing guidelines and moving them towards something else, and that's, the, that's where I see real significant differences between effective boards and non-effective boards is that you're not telling what they can't do. You're telling them what they can do. That's great. So what in your experience has been some of those something else's that really got a board not only engaged, but away from that micromanaging? Great. So I'm going to hear probably a bunch of excited people uh, across the country whenever they hear this. <laughs> but first and foremost, uh, fundraising. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Uh, Imagine that a nonprofit needs a board member to help fundraising. It's a crazy concept. Then that's what we get into the recruiting. Right, right. right. (laughs) And again, a future topic, right? But uh, it's great if you can establish and say up front that we need our board members. uh, This is a nonprofit. Nonprofit means fundraising is included. And I hear all sorts of reasons as to why that's not possible, but there's all sorts of ways to fundraise. And whether that's doing research on grants, helping write grants, introducing them to people who know people, getting fundraising as a part of it, I think that's a huge piece I've seen be successful. But what happens when you need more than that? So I've also seen a great response to board development, having a committee that works specifically on board development. Now, not development in one particular skill, but in understanding the mission of the organization. Oh, and how huge. they can be a bigger contributor to that organization with their time and talents. Because obviously they're spending their time and talents, which at some point can even be more valuable than the check that they're writing at the end of the day, right? Oh, absolutely. So how do Although they- we need the checks. Board yes, members listening yes, need please, the checks. Please, make, please, please get those pens ready, right? <laughs> uh, but the, we really need for them to understand how they can contribute and what they need to do. And so how can they do that if they don't really understand the organization. So I've seen people say, oh, they're a new board member. And I've, well, great. What kind of board uh, introduction have you done? What kind of training have they done? And I get crickets. Yeah. And or they said, oh, well, we gave them a tour. We gave them a tour of the facility. That's a start. And we gave them a brochure. Oh, that's my favorite. Oh, the touches, brochure. oh we gave them a brochure, <laughs> which again, goes back to reading. So really, what do they know? Except for that at some point, you said that they needed them for a random list of reasons. And there was something that piqued their interest. And Mm -hmm. now they're there. Now what? Yeah. So board development can be great. And if you get a few engaged board members to say, well, what do we need collectively as a board? You can really create a wonderful calendar, a cycle calendar, whether it's somebody that comes in every meeting. So if you're meeting quarterly or, or monthly, get somebody coming in from your organization to talk about different departments, ask questions, do site visits. Uh, that's that's huge. And not to mention, there's some board members who really may have came in under one particular niche. Maybe they oh, yeah. were there because they're marketing geniuses and God mm-hmm. bless them, the ones that oh, are, because yeah. we could use all the help we can get. Oh man, we do. <laughs> but they don't know a lot. They're not strong in finance. But yet, yeah. what are you putting in front of them? The financials. The financials. All in favor? Twenty pages of that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I made the good. huge. I made the huge mistake the first board meeting I had as an ED to I. I got all these financial statements and I always read, give, give them as much information as you can. I gave them everything, 64 pages, which included the trial balances oh, and everything. from the fire hydrant and, you were. Oh, my goodness. And my, my poor board chair just pulled me aside after the meeting and she said, never, ever, ever do that again. She's like, these five pages, you 
this is good. Don't give me the rest of it. Good. And that goes back to the communication. Exactly. And so asking them, what do you need to be successful as board members? Because ultimately, it's their responsibility. They're there as if they're a governing board to make sure that we don't fail as an organization. Exactly. You know, if the executive director hits the lottery and decides to move to Vegas. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) That makes both of us. Uh, So then what? It's their responsibility as a board to keep everything running, to do the recruitment, to make sure. So then- it ultimately is their responsibility. So what what's their comfort level? How much do they want to see and how much do they need to see? And having a great conversation with your board chair can help to steer that conversation in the middle of the meeting so that when someone says, I want to see the 64 pages, your board chair can say, well, let's talk about that. What does that look like to you? What's your reasoning behind that? Oh, great. Because we have a finance committee. We'd love to put you on that. And they might need, I think the finance committee has a great reason to see maybe all 64 pages or at least a good level of detail. The detailed income statement, maybe. Right. um, Instead of everything. Because the last thing you want your board doing is asking you, how much are you paying for toilet paper? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When you can afford toilet paper as a nonprofit. I I, I steal mine. Totally. (laughs) We'll edit that part out. We don't need anybody knocking at your door. Don't, don't tell them where. <laughs> you know, now that brings up another great committee that I've seen groups get into is the whole marketing piece mm. and being able to help us with ideas. And we think we know the, what's best, mm-hmm. but we need fresh eyes to take a look at oh, that. So, so you said, what else can we focus them on if they're micromanaging? Helping us market our program. And now that social media is becoming such a big trend and, uh, you know, it used to be that everyone just put in, we sent out some direct mail and everyone responded and we all went, yay. Yeah, and there's still a place for direct mail, and mm-hmm. so please, please don't send me hate letters for those of no. you who are in we direct still mail. Need yeah, some. we still need it. <laughs> um, but what's new and what's trending, and who is your audience? Because if your audience is over the age of 65, perhaps social media shouldn't have a great deal of investment. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to move your audience to a younger age, then by goodness, it should be part of your strategy. Absolutely. You know, you see a lot of agencies really focusing on, you know, their 65 plus donors. And then and then we also want 30 year olds. But they forget that middle piece. And I think that might be that's another topic that we'll have to talk about, too, because that is something that I hear my board saying a lot, too. We need younger donors. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we got to got to keep everybody happy. Absolutely. So another way, great way, I think, to get them engaged on different things is the strategic plan, not only making your strategic plan, but helping you complete it. Because I th- and do something with it after, because yeah. I can't tell you how many boards that I have served on or executives that I've talked to who have said, we have a great strategic plan. And I say, tell me what that looks like. Or, oh, it's on a binder. It's a binder over there. And it's going to tell <laughs> us what we're going to do for the next five years. But in the first six months, we really have to focus on this before yeah. we can get to the strategic plan. So it really just becomes a, you know, a great binder on the shelf yeah. that gets dusted off at a, an annual board meeting. Oh, and, you dust yours off. Well, That's you know, nice. I, I, you know, you blow on it a little bit. The dust flies everywhere. But yeah, yeah, it works. But yeah, strategic planning is a huge element. And and again, it's what what we don't see. uh, That's the reason you get an eclectic member of your board uh, from different areas and different industries is so that we don't know what we don't know, but they do. So what's trending in the financial industry? What's trending in uh, the marketing world? What's trending in big, big business? What's trending in vendors that we're working with so that we can kind of understand and start preparing for that? Yeah, Uh, that's huge. It it is a tough one, you know, just trying to make sure that You've got board members on there for a reason, too. That's the, gosh, that's the hardest part. I I know over the years, we've certainly done our fair share of recruiting people because they were great people and then not knowing what to do with it, which is really scary. 
scary. Um, you know, and I think those are the people that might become less engaged because you don't have a, a job for them and you kind of rely on them to figure out what their what their job is. Mm. And then you lose them, which right. is awful. And then you wonder why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have to wonder for too long. No, no, you do not. That's that's true. <laughs> you know, and I see too there's we get this almost animosity towards mm-hmm. the board at some point going, oh, they're trying to control everything. They're asking all these questions. And it's the reality is it's, again, going back to it's their responsibility. And so if they're asking questions and they're asking what you think is too many questions. Then mm-hmm. I have to say, well, what's my what's my responsibility in this? Mm-hmm. How have I been communicating? Because obviously they're thirsty for more knowledge and I'm not feeding them. Yeah. You know, that was hard for me as a, as a young ED coming in was knowing that their questions didn't necessarily come from a place of attacking. But mm. a place of, you know, they're really wondering, they want more information because right. they love it, not because I did something wrong, which, you know, when you move from staff person to leadership, a lot of times you think that, okay, I did something wrong here and you're trying to clean up after yourself and you're like, I don't actually really have to do that. So oh, absolutely. Because ultimately it. the board is accountable for it. And yeah. there's a reason they're asking mm-hmm. when the rubber hits the road that that's, that's where they're important. Exactly. Know. So have you ever had boards get involved in staff relations, you know, oh, trying yes. to take care of your staff problems for you? <laughs> yes. And I've had staff who have went to board members, mm. unbeknownst to me, and uh, tried to, uh, if you will, get them on, get them on their side, yes. you know, try to sell an idea and it doesn't work so well. So then it comes back and says, well, if I, I talk to uh, board member A and they really Ooh. think this is a good, oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, then going back to CLM, right? A career limiting move. It doesn't yeah. seem to like, because what you've done then is basically said, I don't trust you as my executive director. Mm-hmm. And once you can't have, you know, you don't have trust and trust is broken, your mm-hmm. communication gets broken. And who really suffers is those who are impacted by the mission of your organization. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't want your board members and your staff not to communicate at all either. I think that's, that's right. You don't want to hide challenges. them behind the, don't look yeah. behind the curtain like the Wizard <laughs> yeah. of Oz, right? Yeah. You, you don't want to talk to this staff member right. necessarily, but you know, so you want that open line of communication, but you don't want it to be you know, I think one of the actually, it's probably a, a key indicator of a sick organization is is that going behind yeah. instead of working with. So. And don't you don't you think? In my experience, I have found, and you tell me what you think, um, that a lot of nonprofits is where a lot of young professionals can get their start. Absolutely, they're hungry, especially they're, these days. <laughs> yes, they're they're hungry for something new. They're excited. They're passionate about what you're 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 showing them with your organization and. So what I found also is the reason they want to get in front of these board members is because they want to grow. Yeah. And they want the connection too. They want that connection <laughs> for the next step. And yes. I'm glad for that because part of our responsibility as executives in the nonprofit world is to make sure we're doing professional development. Oh, exactly. The biggest compliment to an executive director to me is when someone comes to me and says, thank you so much for this opportunity, but I've got another opportunity that basically I have set them up for and trained them for yeah. because I think, wow, I've done my job. And I'm some... going to get paid more than you now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't forget me whenever you're being yeah. powerful, right? <laughs> it's a little peon down here. But I think that's just always such a great experience to have. And so how you curve that problem mm-hmm. is uh, with regards to them going behind your back, going, kind of looping mm-hmm. this back around, is that you do set up that board development. You set up a yeah. time where they are having a chance to make a presentation in front of a board of directors 
so that they can have that interaction, that one-on-one. It gives, it feeds that need for them to have that interaction. It feeds the need for the board to learn more about what the staff does. Absolutely. And that can be really beneficial. Now, of course, that means they're going to have to give a presentation. And I think yeah. uh, uh, it was a Jerry Seinfeld, I think it said one point in one of his skits that the number two fear, uh, number one fear in the world is public speaking. Uh, the second uh, is death, which then he drew the conclusion uh, very creatively that that means more people would rather be reading the eulogy. or re- uh, be, uh, re- They wouldn't rather read the eulogy. They'd rather be in the coffin than reading the eulogy. And, you know, when you think of it like that, it seems pretty silly. But what a great opportunity, again, for professional development. Oh, absolutely. So encouraging your team to get involved in a, a Toastmasters International or some sort of speaking training so that they're so comfortable important. with that. Not only is it going to benefit your organization while they're there, but it's going to benefit them and give them the tools that they need to feel successful in front of a group. And not just your marketing people, your program people and your behind the scenes people. What about the finance people? The finance people too. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't it be great if finance people actually came in and gave the presentation to the board? Stop it. (laughs) That would be fantastic. (laughs) We're not picking on finance people today. That's not the point. We love you. You keep the numbers beautiful and you you help us uh, keep in line, but it does feel like um, I think that we we as executives mm-hmm. we we pigeonhole groups yeah. of, of people. So oh, you're the you're the finance people. You're back there, yeah. and you stay behind the scenes, and you just punch out the numbers, and you tell us how we're doing and when what's next. And that's not fair to them. How no. are they supposed to have professional development and growth? And there's going to come a day when they maybe want to take that next step, and exactly. we we owe it to them to provide them that professional development. Exactly. And that's what the show is going to be all about is making sure that we're not pigeonholing people and we're getting people together. We're getting people talking. This has been a great talk about boards. Yeah. I will, before we get to, before we go, yeah. before we wrap up, I want to play a little bit of a game. Oh boy. It's called, and this will be a reoccurring segment, hopefully listeners, this will be um, NPBWG. And oh, goodness. obviously we know that stands for nonprofit buzzword game because we've got to have our acronyms. Well, of course. So, of course, it's like a governmental a- yes. acronym. I like it. <laughs> so we're going to take turns quizzing each other on some common nonprofit terms and concepts and what we think they actually mean. Uh, this actually uh, comes from um, my favorite blog ever. Um, uh, it's written by a man named Vu Lee, and it's the Nonprofit with Balls uh, website. So Love if you get a chance blog. to look at this one, um, you know, definitely please look at that. So you'll find the, the links in our blog. Um, so Natalie. Ready. What does it mean when somebody comes in and says, can I, can I give you some feedback? <laughs> oh, no. What did I do wrong? And, what, <laughs> and then immediately, even if you say yes, and they're trying to tell you in the back of your head, you're going through every single scenario that possibly could be wrong. And the reality is they may just be giving you feedback on what you did right, but you're so busy trying to figure out what you did wrong. <laughs> it's the sugar coating of you screwed up and we're going to have to talk about it now in private. Yes. Yeah, I love so, that. Oh, and the door closes. Oh, the door. Man, that is that is really something huge, too. It's yeah. the, with the door open, the door close. And you I, know. I, absolutely. I feel bad that people know, but you you know. And, and a word of advice for all executives, ask if it's okay if I close the door. I've seen executives ah, come in and talk to good. someone and they just close the door. And immediately, first off, it sends a signal that I'm in charge mm-hmm. and, and and you're not and something's wrong. Yeah, that's really good. And so if you come in I'm and guilty say, of that. Oh, see, we're learning already. So if you come in to the, to, and I like doing it in the office of the individual I'd like to have the feedback session with mm. because it puts them in a position of power. Yes. As opposed to coming into the like the principal's office, you know, yes. and what's worse is what happens when they come to see you 
and they and you make them sit outside first. Now they're waiting for oh. the principal. Oh, I've seen that happen as well. So thank going, goodness we don't have that set up here. Right, can't right. Do thank that. you. Yeah. So you you know you go to their office and you ask. I'd like to talk to you for a minute. Would you mind if I close the door? Yeah. Because what it signals is I respect you. I respect your privacy, and I'd like that permission. I think I've only in a very small, minute time have I heard someone say no. Yeah, and uh, there's usually a really good reason. Yeah. Like they're waiting for someone. They're supposed to be coming and they have an appointment. So you realize the timing is wrong. But oh, yeah. that closing, the, asking permission to close the door really helps set the tone on a feedback session. That's really good. You've got one for me, I think? I do. I do. I'm thinking, um, what about when you are talking, uh, you're interviewing a board member and they're asking you about the organization and you say, well, you know, we provide a lot of leadership opportunities here. Oh, that means that you're going to be president um, in, a, in six months. We don't have a vice president right now. And we don't have a secretary right now. And our board chair is burnt out. <laughs> Lucky you. Welcome. I love, I love that phrase. Well, we provide a lot of leadership opportunities. See, to me, that always means we... Um, we are short-staffed always. Mm -hmm. uh, we have no plan on becoming regular staff, so we're just used to working short-staffed, which means we need you to pick up the pace and help us out. <laughs> yes. The other one could mean is, um, well, you know, I, I personally, as the ED, will be leaving in two months. <laughs> and uh, I haven't told guess, anybody guess yet. Guess what? The board's going to be running right the place for a that's while. Right, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I think we got time for one more. Great. I'm ready. Let's do logic model. What's a logic model? Oh, oh, oh. I've seen that used before. Um Typically, that means that we are going to put everything in this fancy chart that no one reads, that no one really understands, and most of the numbers tie back to documents that we don't have access to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but logically, it makes sense because we know all that. It makes our, our outcomes and our outputs and our everything flows yes, into our inputs. and we've used inputs. the filter option on Excel just exactly. enough so that we know. <laughs> so that we know it, it looks really great. That's yeah. right. That's, yeah. Love the logic model. I, I love them and hate them at the same time. So, But I have, finally have one, which I feel like is really the, the grand scheme of everything. Yes, absolutely. What about uh, when you are recruiting board members? And um, you tell them that you're really looking for board members who can be passionate about our mission. Oh, you! Oh, I want you to give me more money. <laughs> I, I would like th at least three zeros from you. <laughs> yeah, passion always equates to either dollars or sweat equity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's when when recording board, me board members. Of most of the time, it's it's the dollars. It's the dollars. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 in case it might be also be. And by the way, we only have three board members now, so Ooh. we really need you. You to, do need to be passionate. I then. was recruited to a board once where that was the case. It was like, oh, oh, so you're the second board member, so you're now automatically in this position. I was like, whoa, what just happened? Yikes! And, uh, where did everybody else go? Right. That's yeah. that's a warning Oof, sign. That's yeah. a huge. What happened? Uh yeah. That's. That's a, that's oh, another story. <laughs> well, this has been a great talk. Thank you so much for being my first guest. Absolutely. It's been so much fun. Yeah, it's been great. And I hope all of you join me next week on 501 Crossroads. Uh, we're going to keep learning. We're going to keep working together. And uh, remember, we're all fighting for the same outcome.